printer tray. Hey now, you have you have a printer? Uh, I know it seems yeah. It's I don't think I've fired it up in a long time. <laughs> what year is it? If, yeah, so I wonder that myself. <laughs> well, the cart, the cart, the cartridges. The problem when you don't use an inkjet printer ever is that you buy cartridges and then the cartridges dry up. Mm-hmm. And and so you you are actually always out of ink. So not <laughs> using so not using your inkjet printer actually guarantees that you will not use your inkjet printer. It's it's like this is, this is, sort of a mess. So you basically need to keep on buying cartridges in case you at at any point would like to print something. Yeah, something like that. Hey, do you remember when like it used to be you could go to the mall and there was a kiosk that would like and refill? print stuff? Well, no, just refill your print cartridges. Or maybe no. they would also print things. No. Yeah, that was like a that was a business people could be in. For a while. <laughs> you see, bring you you because HP would charge you like you know approximately uh, thirty two thousand dollars for each black ink cartridge uh <laughs> um because i don't know uh they could and so all across the land you could go and and get it refilled for like eight dollars <laughs> i do remember being in high school and like printing out these like super faded papers i remember first for I mean, school assignments yeah, yeah, no, that was that was the that was a good time. Do so you remember the the dot matrix printers? Oh, do I ever with the perforations the like, on the side? They make they were so noisy. Yeah, and, yeah. and 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 they sort of had like a paddle wheel running through the sort of perforated strip on the side. Yeah, yeah, they they couldn't they couldn't move the paper without like the strips. So you'd have to like like tear off the little whole strips good times when you were done yeah <laughs> this two hour uh 20 something early 20s listeners this might sound strange but um <laughs> this is the sound of a dot matrix printer is just the sound of my childhood at, at my job which i've had for about two months now uh the main printer that i print to is a color printer which is like, it's a shock to me. No, same, same. It's one of those giant, like, integrated copy machine, scanner, printer things. It's like the size of a copy machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, basically a copy I, machine that also prints. See, this, this is just like a, a sort of small office-style printer, but it, it defaults to color. So every time I'm printing something where I've, yeah. like, highlighted something wherever I pick up the page, instead of just being... You know, in grayscale, which is what I would expect, it's still it's always in color, and I just it feels so extravagant. It really it's like does. being at it's like it's like being at an open bar. It feels it makes more sense. I feel like in my work because I work for a giant multinational corporation now. Um, that's that's actually true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're like, okay, yeah, no, I can totally see us like having you know this being a thing here. But if you're just at a small little office, that's like, what? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so that was, I didn't mean to <laughs> get us started off on a talk about computer equipment, but mm. uh, here we are. Here we are. I think that's why uh, we've received, you know, uh, 
tens of emails over the course of the years that uh, from our audience that they they like this kind of chatter. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that I think that they do, and so that's why it happens. And it's all let me tell you, everybody, it's totally organic. We don't, you know, it's not, there's no script. No, 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 no script. There's no plan. I really did just accidentally hit my elbow on my printer tray. We're, and, and the important thing is that we're here to keep you company. On yeah, your on your ride, <laughs> during your work day, on your commute. <laughs> the Honest Bicycle Program, friends, listeners, supporters, we're on your side. Yeah, we can't emphasize that enough, actually. We're, we cannot. We're with you. Because, I mean, look, if we're not with you, who's going to be with we you? We have your back. And if anybody talks yeah. shit, we will knuckle up with you. We will knuckle up. <laughs> what we're trying to say is you've got a posse, and that posse is the Honest Bicycle Program. Uh, so I'm Greg, by the way. And I'm Matteo. And uh, gosh, we so it's been a little while um, since we last chatted at y'all, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, we, we were getting all set. We were going to record um i got horribly ill believe me you don't really want to know anything more about that but i i got <laughs> quite sick it, it sucked and then uh just things you know i got better i'm fine don't worry uh i'm fine now um life moved along this race that i'm involved in happened so then i was doing that uh the greenfield crit happened so uh, and sponsored by wide angle podium network hey that's great so I'd, I'd love to ask you some questions about that Oh, sure, yeah. I hear that, you know, putting on races is super hard, and that's why it's so important for bike racers to support bike races and bike race promoters, and that's why we need to understand uh, why it's so important to have, you know, high reg fees and no prize lists uh, Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Now that you're a race promoter, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, well, so, I mean, the first thing I have to say about that is that most of the promoting duties are done by the race director, Lydia Housley, who's amazing. Um, and actually, I'd, I, fo- I'd like I follow, to, I hopefully... follow her on Twitter, yeah. That's a good, that's a good follow. That's a mm-hmm. good follow, at L. Housley. Uh, that's spelled L-H-A-U-S-L-E. Um, it took me so long to learn how to pronounce her last name, but that's, an, that's another story. So anyway... <laughs> Um, yeah, so she, she does like 95% of the work and makes me and, uh, results boy, uh, Colin Reuter, uh, look really good. Uh, <laughs> um, because people just assume that we did about a third of the work each. Uh, <laughs> that is, that is not, that is not correct. That is not accurate. Uh, anyway, I hope, I hope that we can have, actually, I keep meaning to ask Lydia if she'd like to, uh, come on and talk about promoting a race and like why and how, well, maybe not how, I don't know, but. Every race is different, right? But but a little bit about that experience, and maybe we'll do that at some point. So I mean, as far as bike yeah, race, I think I, I for on, one would I think would, would really love to do that with HPP. You know, we've had an official on, and we've had bike racers, mm-hmm. but uh, it would it would be great to get to take a deep dive into race promotion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so anyway, I mean, yeah, it is it is hard to do, and uh, there are a lot of costs involved. One of the ones that. You know, it might be difficult to appreciate, right? Is you have to close roads uh, if you're doing if you're doing a race on residential streets, right? Mm-hmm. That's expensive. 
Um, that's not an easy thing to do. Where does that money go to? The cops? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, and, and cops, by the way, are very expensive. Yeah. So closing the roads for an eight-hour chunk of time is, well, A, it's very expensive. It's thousands of dollars. B, um, the cops and, and other people, but the cops in particular, really like to be paid in four-hour blocks. <laughs> uh, and that means that if you go over your previously allotted eight hours of time by one minute, they have every right to charge you for another four hours. Uh, and that will take your already strained budget and just pummel it into a flattened, pulpy pulp. Okay, that's a challenge. So, yeah, so that's a challenge. Um, i trying to think of the other things that were expensive. I, I don't have the, the budget in front of me, but, you know, you got to get porta-potties. Porta-potties actually, actually aren't that bad, as it turns out, especially if you're getting a relatively small number. You know, mm-hmm. we're not talking about GP Gloucester levels of porta-potties here. We're talking, like, four, mm-hmm. right? And we're probably going to get five next year because we're we're going to keep growing hopefully and and we're hitting the limit of what you can you know what's <laughs> whether four is really adequate i'm so we're not talking like i'm so three. intrigued by porta potties uh-huh what about them well all right so i've spent i've been racing at the track a lot lately at the uh the lehigh valley uh or valley preferred cycling center in trexler town um pennsylvania and spend a lot of time in the infield, spending a lot of time visiting those porta potties, staying hydrated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And there's, a, you know, there's a sticker that says uh, this unit will uh, service ten people for a normal work week. <laughs> um, but like I said, I've been inside those, and I think you're hard pressed to fit two people in there at one time, let alone ten. I don't know how you're going to squeeze ten people into one of those. Yeah, uh, I mean, generally speaking, they don't recommend having more than one person occupying it at a given time. Uh-huh. Oh, I one suppose, week, well, sure, if you want One wanna, week you know, would be a long time the numbers. to... That's true. Well, one week would be a long time to occupy a porta potty on a permanent basis, yeah. even by yourself. You, so you see my concern. Uh, no, I do, I do, I do. But we're going to have to we're gonna have to move on from the porta potties because there's, there's more to cover. Uh, I know. Porta potties are hilarious inherently. Um, but thank you for humoring me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Uh, I mean, really, the big one is is the cops, but it's surprising what adds up because you need you really want to have an EMT there mm-hmm. uh, in case someone falls and hurts themselves, which they inevitably will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's bike racing that happens, and when you you know, it's it's all about aggregate kind of public risk versus individual risk right your individual risk of crashing in the crit um not actually as high as people think mm-hmm. uh but the chance of someone at least one person crashing at an entire day's worth of crit racing is essentially one yeah so <laughs> it's gonna happen hopefully it won't be too serious and and uh, you'll have someone who can patch them up or you know assess them and send them on their way so that costs money uh, food for volunteers yeah. costs a surprising amount of money because if you're going to have the roads closed, um, that's great if you can actually make a full closure work. At our race, we can't do that. We have to allow 
uh, residential traffic in and out of the course while the races are going on, and we need humans in order to allow that. Right. Uh, and so that's essentially my job is getting those humans together and making sure that all goes smoothly. So and there's just a lot of other things um, that add up USAC insurance fees. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to pay someone to do your results. You have mm-hmm. to pay your USAC officials. And let me let me uh, like add a comment as as a bike racer. Like I don't I don't really know anything about race promotion. I, only what I've observed in bike racing. Uh, as like a, a customer in the whole process, I love really professional results. I love when they're uh done fast and accurately and they're post on the internet quickly and as a as a fan you know curious about uh races that are happening all over the country i love when i can say oh what's going on at this grid or that and check twitter and see uh see results as they happen um Mm -hmm. so i think like professional Mm -hmm. results people are awesome oh yeah they're they're fabulous. They're worth every penny. Mm-hmm. They aren't. They aren't in the grand scheme of things that expensive. But you know, they're not. They're they're not free either. Mm-hmm. So they're pros. Sometimes um, you sometimes you pay for pros. Yeah, no, they're pros, and and uh, as I said, it's it's worth it. It's actually, you know, at this point, at at a lot of events, um, yeah, I would say. I would say it races here in the Northeast. That's essentially expected. Like you can't get away with hand scoring races. Yes, yeah. it's unless it's like a really small training crit that yeah. no one actually cares about. Like hand scoring races uh, in New England and the Northeast in general is not really ex- an acceptable level of production for any event. When did when did the technology uh, essentially allow bike racing to have sprint finishes? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> right i mean it's been you know the they used to score those finishes by eye and and they might not score they would you know maybe not score them past 10 places yeah or five places which i think you that know, that's probably where the, the where the sort of you know there is sort of a, an older culture of only scoring so deep no it's true it's true and you know there's a logic to it yeah. But it you know it turns out that customers even if you you know people want to know if they got thirty fifth yeah sure mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't the difference between thirty fifth and twenty fifth in you know a, a field finish in a criterium is basically meaningless mm-hmm. but uh, nonetheless people want to know that it I, gives them yeah something tangible you know so so I've been racing at the the track a lot lately and for non UCI races the uh... The Trexler Town Velodrome only scores five deep. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm there, count, you know, in my finishes, counting the riders in front of me and thinking, like, all right, like, I got eighth place in this race, and it's not going to show on the results, but that matters to me. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, I, I have to say, I struggle to count the number of riders in front of me accurately if it's more than, like, four. Yeah. And even then, it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But... Yeah, so, any, I mean, so, there's a bunch of different things, anyway, that, that end up costing money. Um, even a small race like the Greenfield Criterion, which is which is still a small race, and you know we haven't landed a major sponsor yet. Um, the expenses are large. I mm-hmm. mean, we're talking about 
Um, the outlay, you know, without getting super specific, it's it's in the very low five figures mm-hmm. um, to put this event on. I mean, like it's it's no joke. Yeah, that is that um, is no joke. Uh, and and you know, when your income is coming primarily from a couple small sponsorships and um, and from registration fees basically maybe it's not in the very maybe it's in the very high four figures i don't quite remember like i said but it's somewhere it's somewhere in there um high high four figures or or extremely low ten five figures but anyway um you know it's it's no joke and and when your only income is a couple small grants that you can get from the local racing association and registration fees um it it's very very difficult to make up the gap between your revenue and your expenses. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a few tricks you can use to try and do that. Um, some of them are really good ideas. Uh, some of them uh, don't actually make a lot of sense. For example, I've I've heard I've heard I've heard it said. I've heard it said that uh, you know unless for example, you can actually a field will pay for itself that it should get less prize money I've heard that <laughs> said. Um, oh dear that's not true <laughs> oh dear that's not true yeah so we're that, gonna talk about this a little bit yeah go ahead go ahead as as we were just a few minutes ago sort of talking about having some other people on the show um in order to spice things up a little bit you know it, it occurred to me that uh, Aaron Facone would have made a really great guest for tonight, since I think that you and I are both sort of hopping mad uh, and eager to talk about uh, what happened at the Nutmeg Games mm-hmm. and this larger question in general of uh, uh, prizeless equality. Yeah, yeah. In short, are you paying your women's fields the same amount in prize money for the same finishing places as you are your men's fields and we've we've covered this before You're, yeah yeah we've talked about this and and um you know i think it's it's worth getting into again probably um well it continues to rear its head as an issue it continues to rear its head you know i mean what's interesting is that this has become a big issue mm-hmm. Because you and I started bike racing around the same time, mm-hmm. um, around you know about ten years ago, <laughs> as yeah. hard as that is to believe, a little less, um, well in my case a little less, and I would say this was only on a few people's radar mm-hmm. at that time. Um, safe to say, but yeah, it's safe to say, but I'd say in the last five and especially the last three years is when things have really. It has 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 become kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So so we should probably review very quickly what specific event kind of um, sparked this discussion, mm-hmm. which was the Nutmeg State Games. That's that's in Connecticut. So and it's uh, there's and a it's, few things. To... It's like the mm-hmm. Olympics for the state of Connecticut. Right. That's essentially, yeah, it's, it's exactly. Which exactly. is to say that there are the nutmeg games for a lot of different sports, and there is a nutmeg games criterium, which is uh, also the state championship? Yeah, it's the state, I mean, it's the Connecticut state championship. Mm-hmm. But it's important to understand that the nutmeg state games is, is its own organization. Yes. Okay, that oversees a whole lot of different things, and that it 
this story doesn't actually reflect badly on the Nutfeg State Games organization. It reflects well on that organization. We'll get to it. Um, but the Nutmeg State Games as an organization is not, as far as I understand it, a race promotion or, or event promotion kind of enterprise. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, they provide more of an uh, almost, I don't know, I should have done my research on them, come to think of it, think, think of it. But, you know, they're, they're sort of an umbrella group that just kind of essentially sanctions events. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. They sanction events and uh, they, they effectively, I don't know the details of how this works or how they decided or whatever, but they effectively contract the promotion of Nutmeg State Games events to individuals who want to do that. So, in the case of the Nutmeg State Games Criterium State Championship, this individual is a gentleman named Rick Comshaw, uh, and he puts on this race. And so Aaron Facone wrote uh, a really good blog post about this that we will link in the show notes on her blog, uh, What's What's So Hard, or whatsohard.wordpress.com. We'll link that. And uh, I don't want to belabor this too much, but essentially um, there was a problem with Comshaw not offering equal payouts, which in New England, in the New England Bicycle Racing Association has now become um, a very, very important deal. And it is the official position of NEBRA that um, bicycle races should have equal payouts between equivalent male and female fields. Um, And they, in fact, will not sanction a state championship event that does not have this. So he he posted this flyer. It didn't have equal payouts. Uh, People, including Niebuhr, got on his case, and he said fine, um, and and put up an equalized uh, prize list, uh, supposedly. Well get to that um and and so of course uh you know people are already a little sour on this guy because he he clearly doesn't really care that much about this issue uh and is he was doing it only kind of uh let's say under duress yeah with a bit of an arm twist a bit of an arm twist and uh but you know the the i think the position of a lot of the uh women racers in new england who feel strongly about this was hey, you know, we got to at least give this a chance. Like, you know, if, if we're going to have a race after we made such a stink about it, we should show up and mm-hmm. race. You know, the, at least the vocal um, folks out there. Yeah. So they do, a, and a, they show a, up. A dignified and respectable approach. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they show up, and um, to cut a long story short, they're told on the line, in the rain, uh, oh, by the way, you're racing for medals. Not for, uh, not for prize money. The men's race having already concluded, they had prize money, like you do. Um, and, and again, and so, like in the rain, like a very stormy, cold late spring day. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a gross gross day. So I yeah, think, uh, and 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 just just as a little addition, I think a lot of people don't mind racing in the rain, but nobody really wants to st- or in the wet. Nobody really wants to start a race when it's dumping down. That's when people yeah. are miserable. If it yeah. starts to rain during a race, everyone's like, oh, flahoot training. 
if you're waiting around for a race to start and you're just getting soaked, if you if you clip in at the start line and your shoes already go and squish, yeah, nobody likes that. That sucks. Nobody likes that. Yeah, and and the field was the field was small. It was you know because the weather was gross and there actually aren't that many elite women racers in New England. Period because there aren't a lot anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So there was this field of what eight nine something like that. Um. Unfortunately, and, but yeah, that was taken. So the promoter said, uh, you're racing for medals after having tried to argue them down to doing a 20 minute race instead of the 40 minute race that was on the flyer. That's a whole nother thing. Um, so there was already, there was already some, uh, acrimony and, uh, they talked it over amongst themselves and decided they would race because they need, got, need to get a workout in anyway, because there's a point to prove, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and the promoter, Comshaw, kind of pointed to this asterisk uh, on the flyer having to do with the payouts that was... I don't have a copy of this flyer in front of me. It was like unclear, unpunctuated, and didn't refer to the women's field, but just had the letter F in there somewhere. Yeah, it just had. The, it was pretty darn questionable. It was, it was like, like minimum fifteen F for payout. Yeah, like it that. said it, it. It didn't even say for pay. It just said minimum fifteen F, not even a period before the next sentence. So it's you know, it was sort of attempting to I think put a stealth thing in there. And so the conclusion here. I mean, look, let's be a hundred percent clear about what happened here, which is that um, Niebuhr would not approve a flyer with conditional payout. Conditional payout for um, reasons we might not go into in depth, but, but for reasons that should be fairly clear. Um, minim, you know, Conditional payouts based on field size are not acceptable. Um, and, and that's also a violation of USAC policy. Yeah, it's a violation of policy. Like, it's, it's not okay. Uh, the, the only conclusion, the only reasonable conclusion based on the history of this guy and this race and all that, uh, is that he had no intention at any point of following through with equal payouts. And in fact, that he willfully and knowingly lied in order to obtain his Nebra sanction, his USAC sanction to put this race on. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then look, I wasn't there. Um, I wasn't there. My impression is that uh, his attitude was pretty smug on the line, but, but that's, that's hearsay. Um, so, so maybe I should just strike that from the record. But uh, it, it's pretty clear that he had no intention uh, of, of ever actually offering uh, payouts um, for this event. So people are pretty mad about that. There was a big fuss on the internet. Aaron wrote this post, which is not an angry screed. Um, it's it's really really good and like I said we'll link it. Uh and the good news is that Nutmeg State Games, the organization, stepped up when this became a big firestorm and has sent checks to all the women in the race with equivalent payouts to what the men received for their placings. Um which is great. Like I'm uh, it's really good of them to see it's really good to see them Doing the like right that. thing. And, yeah, and doing the right doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. It is unfortunate exactly. that they had to step up and take responsibility for what was essentially somebody else's responsibility. Right, exactly. And and I do hope the it's, whole and, and sort all... of like when you party and your friend vomits and you clean it up because it's somebody else's house. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. And, and, and you know, I, we, we can only hope and we sort of expect. I mean, uh, I do not believe that Nibra is going to agree to issue, to, to sanction a race that he promotes next year, for example. Mm-hmm. I do not think, I, well, I would be very surprised if Nutmeg State Games, the organization, was willing to allow someone who made them cough up money that I think, you know, they don't have tons of. Yeah. Um, you know, and embarrassing them publicly, uh, I, I would hope that they will not want to essentially give him the contract to promote the Nutmeg State Games. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that's, you know, we don't know yet as far as that goes. I hope that that is going to be the outcome as far as that goes. But anyway, the point, but, but this comes back to the Sarge issue, is uh, this payout issue is still kind of unresolved in the sense that there isn't yet consensus among everyone in the bike racing community that this is the right thing to do to us Mm -hmm. this seems pretty much this is is crystal clear the thing the thing that really gets me about this so like yes yes there's not consensus and i i take a deep breath and i accept arguments like well the numbers are always lower and 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 it's a strain on promoters and i and i do and I do know women who say that, like, they're okay with proportional prize lists. And so I take a deep breath and sort of listen to them before having too strong of an opinion about that. And, like, kind of kind of accept that as, like, a potentially acceptable solution for people. But the number of men out there with absolutely terrible opinions about this yeah. uh, blows my mind. Um, especially when you hear, and this is so common, but women's racing isn't as fast as men and it's not as exciting as men so so i i mean i would for for anyone who makes this like excitement claim like consider the fact that there are three grand tours every year and like those have days in which nothing happens and in those days in which nothing happens it's like a four-hour stage for a sprint finish and even domestically we've got like pro you know 90 minute crits that just end in a field sprint so talk to me when there is a flyer that says here's the prize list if it's a field sprint and here's the prize list if the race breaks up if there is a standard for excitement by which prize money is allotted right yeah so so um you know my my opinion is maybe a little stronger than that i I really think that for local amateur events that if there are payouts and and this is you know this is one of the ways in which it, it can be made easier to to kind of do this balance right but if there are payouts that between equivalent fields uh they should be equal and the reason is so so let's get to the proportional prizes thing just real quick to, to knock it out right mm-hmm. which is that um field size is not indicative is is not a proxy for field quality mm-hmm. uh and and that's really really important and and the the idea of prize money isn't that the racers are putting money into a pot and that like the winner takes right it's not like playing a round of poker Mm -hmm. a a hand of poker okay like if that were kind of and like i can see how you might conceptualize it that way like i that's not a crazy way to look at it but really what it sort of amounts to historically and effectively is that getting a prize is sort of like a hey good job right mm-hmm. and it's the size of the prize says something about like hey 
how good a job did you do? Mm-hmm. Which means that if you have fields getting differently sized prizes, well, you know, of course, if, for example, you have a Cat 3 field and a Cat 1 2 field, of course you would hope that the prize money is bigger in the Cat 1 2 field because it's harder. It's a bigger accomplishment to win a Cat 1 2 race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about that, like in that context, when you're comparing fields between genders, the, the kind of higher level fields get more prize money, mm-hmm. then the message then when you have lower prizes for equivalent fields cross-gender is pretty unambiguous. Absolutely. I think, which is that this accomplishment is not worth as much. But that's, but, but the thing is, and, and again, this, you know, the, the quality thing, field size is an equivalent to field quality. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, there you might get 20 riders in a women's elite one, two, three race. Uh, and the thing about that is, you know, first, there's no place to hide, right? These are dedicated racers um, who are putting in the same kind of work. And, you know, it's not like a race where you can sit behind 80 other dudes and then with 10 laps to go move up and sprint. Yeah. That's not how it works in women's racing, you know? <laughs> so it's a real, it's a real, it's a real fight. Just like in any men's race, it's a real fight. I, you're, and you're, the you're, same work goes into it. Your, your point about how field size is not indicative of field quality is really driven home by what I've seen at uh, racing at the Velodrome recently. Um, in the, the UCI fields for the men, um, you know, in the enduro races, we've got a, a 30 or 40 deep rider field. And there's some, there's some really talented people. You know, there's this guy who has... Uh, the Australian team pursuit record. There's the Canadian hour record holder. Um, there, there are lots of really great athletes in the women's field. You know, it includes multiple world champions and Olympic medalists, right? But the women's field is mm-hmm. less than half the size. Yeah, yeah. Or so, or or to make you know another example, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, you know, uh, just imagine imagine a criterium, right, where uh, Peter Sa- Peter Sagan lines up against a hundred cat threes, right? <laughs> Versus a criterion where he lines up against, you know, uh, 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 um, Tony Gallopan and uh, Marcel Kittle and uh, uh, Julian Alaphilippe, right? And whatever you have and, ten, and that's it. Yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter Sagan and, and nine other guys. Which which win if Peter Sagan say wins both these races? The fact that he was yeah. against 100 Cat 3s, does that mean that that win is worth more than the win against his peers? So I've, um, I've also heard, I've also heard people though, though say this thing, you know, you're, you're using Sagan as this like pretty good, pretty good talking point. I've also heard people say that like, okay, you know, there, there doesn't need to be prize money in amateur racing. So why are we even talking about this? But if we, if we weren't talking, if there wasn't prize money, right, and we weren't talking about this, like, hypothetically speaking, let's say that, you know, there are all these promoters who are like, all right, well, the elite women race at 8 a.m. and the elite men race at 2 p.m. while, you know, the band is on stage by the finish line and all that. We'd be having the same conversation. It would just be about something else, right? When there is this obvious disparity in the sort of organizational respect shown to women. Right, exactly. It's, a pr- it's, a pr- it's about principle and it's about respect it's about treating people like they are also that they're worth the same like, as they're, their like, they're, like they're valued like they're yeah. wanted there yeah precisely the amount is like the, the fact is that uh it is actually probably a pretty, like, pretty good idea to reduce prize money 
in amateur racing. It's it's kind of this weird feature of amateur bike racing in the U.S. that like Cat fours get cash prizes at a lot of races. Like, why is that? It's a little odd. Um, and but you know, I don't want to dig too deep into that. I you know the, what we've decided to do at Greenfield uh, was no none of the fields get cash prizes except for the elite fields. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's solid. I uh, I respect. And by elite, you mean like one two or one two three? One two three. Yeah. Uh, so in I mean in New England, elite is essentially one two three. Mm-hmm. There's almost there are very very few P one two races mm-hmm. in 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 New England. Um. So so yeah, that's. That's what we have chosen to do. A lot of other races have chosen to do this. You know, there's an argument. There are arguments to be had about that, whether whether elites really should get more prize money or whether, you know, uh, other people should get none or whatever. Um, but, um, well, I think that you can... I, I think that, you know, the, the kind of crucial point is that people get treated the same, right? So, I mean, if you compare, for example, what if what if there wasn't prize money? What if... If you win the elite men's race, you get a medal, uh, you know, a nice engraved medal, or you know, whereas you win the elite women's race, you get a ribbon. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that say something? You know, the fact that the nominal cash value of those prizes is zero dollars is besi- is totally beside the point. Yeah. Like, and, you know, wait, what, like, right, maybe, maybe you like ribbons better than medals. I don't know. The point is, like, the, the point is that, that if you can imagine, you can imagine, in, you know, some kind of non-monetary prize that are obviously non-equivalent kind of worth or meaning or, or respect. When it, when it comes down to it, like, I hope that our listeners, and, you know, listeners, I, I don't know how you feel, if, if you feel like we're, we're two people who are just, like, preaching to the choir be that to you or just like to each other or if you're like thinking about this for the first time and you're like oh yeah maybe these guys have a good point but this but honestly like i think it comes down to like as simple as this like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like any of the qualifications right like you you treat people in a way that builds the world that you want and if you want more women bike racing if you want to show respect to people in your community this is what you do this is just what you do and 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 any nearly any ar- any argument any freaking argument for doing something otherwise is like just finding an excuse to treat women badly yeah yeah quite frankly i mean it, well, well it, it, you know t- to that i will say right people people get remarkably invested in the status quo and people get invested in the status quo for reasons that aren't necessarily because they're jerks who are like thinking yeah i want to keep women down and they suck um but because you think well this is how we do it damn it and when people are saying and, that this and, and is i the value thing it to so do, it must be great right and when people are saying you know that this is wrong that makes me feel like i'm being attacked uh and so they're you know yeah. gonna get defensive but the thing is um you know there's a lot of reasons that are kind of given out there about why it, it can't be done or or why you know this race has a good reason not to do it for you know like uh we, we've gone over things that's less exciting or there are fewer racers in the field yada yada um but things like for example um oh you know it's harder to balance the budget well um putting on the race 
is hard. Like, there's no getting around that. But here's here's what you do. Um, I've got an amazing solution for you <laughs> if you're concerned about balancing your prize list. Uh, so take take the amount, take the total amount that you were paying out to your elite men's, for example, an elite women's field, or you know, if you've got other fields that are getting prize money, your total prize prize list. All right. Now take those prize prize lists, the the complete pool, and divide it in half. Right. Fifty fifty. And oh you're done. Hold on a second. Well, let me get my account, my calculator here. <laughs> so you take your money and you multiply it by two. How do you do? Uh, how do you do? That? How are you just going to find twice as much money? By one over two. Well, you don't have to. By you one, one, one divided half, one by over two. two. Yeah. So you essentially, like, so if you had like four apples, you would take two of them and you'd put them in the blue area and two of them in the pink area. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how crazy. you do it. That's how you do it. And and the reason, right, that's is it's so from, hard to do. <laughs> the evidence, the evidence we have at amateur races. Now, this might get a little tricky at the big pro events. Um, <laughs> I think it's safe to say we're not going to touch that too much. I do think that they can do better. There was just a study that came out uh, that the BBC wrote an article about, about how apparently like 83% of sports are now doing equal payouts for prizes, and cycling is in there with like snooker. But anyway, Hells, uh, yeah. so that's, yeah, that's great. Looks good. Except, makes for, the, except for the cycling being there with snooker. It helps you out of the 83% part. That's pretty yeah. good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, so anyway... Uh, so basically what this means is that your, your prize list for your elite men shrinks, right? Uh, well, and you might think, oh no, I'm not going to get as many elite men to come out and race bikes. Well, here, here's the secret, really. Um, at these kind of amateur events, almost nobody can realistically expect to get paid. And when you're at that level, you know that and you, yeah. you plan on it. And, and what we've seen is that. Uh, and we've done some surveys here. My, my, you know, we, we've actually put out some surveys in New England to, to ask about this and ask women racers about this. People aren't really that hung up about how much prize money is at an event. It's not usually going to affect their decision. It's, it's mm. really much more about the production quality of the event, whether they feel like they're welcome, whether it's a good atmosphere, um, whether they feel safe, um, all mm-hmm. these things and prize money is, you know, if people care about it at all, it's like the last thing on the list. I, spe- so I, don't think I, sp- I speculate that. though, that even if people say that they, if they're looking at a flyer that whether, whether, you know, there's, there's like a good prize purse is kind of a stand in. If you're just looking at a flyer, if you don't know much about a race, if you see $1,500, 15 deep, you're going to assume that that race has got a little bit more going for it than if you see. Three hundred dollars for deep. Well, yeah, no, that's. I mean, that's that's fair, and and yeah, I mean, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too deep because we're going long on this thing. Because I I really wanted to get yeah. these objections out there. Um, yeah. but you know, I mean, the, the, that that could happen to some extent. That's true, but the, the the kind of larger question is, what has happened to you know races that have offered equal prize money? Like, has that worked out for them? Like, are there a lot of races that have done this and they've gone under or has this mostly seemed to have been okay? The answer is that races that have done this are, are doing fine. Like, like that's, that's essentially what it is. Like there's no reason to believe whatsoever that this is going to kill your race. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing that I just want to get out there, the last point is that, you know, when, when it comes to, if you do care about this, you know, one of the, one of the excuses I've seen, and I am going to use the word excuse because I think it's pretty weak, uh, is that, well, we care about development a lot, and the problem is there aren't a lot of women racers, so we want to make it easier uh, for women to get into the sport. So instead of equal prize money, we've 
um, in these other four races in us have formed a compact where you know we're offering five dollars off the entry fee for uh, women four or five racers. There, we're doing our job. Uh, here, here's here, here's the thing with this. Um, you're not listening to what people are telling you to do. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, listen to what people are telling you to do. Like, what is what are what are the women who are in the sport already who are already here? What are they asking for? They are saying, treat us equally. Show us that you respect us and value that we are already here. Yeah. Like, right? That, that's why this equal prize money is such a hot button. Because A, you know, it, it does send that message. B, it's doable. It's, it's something we can fix now. Right? That's really important, actually, to, to point out. People say, like, oh, well, you know, uh, you have only, like, 10% as many women bike racers and the fields are so small. And that's going to be so hard. So we need to get more women into the sport. You know, well, first of all, you know, treat women with respect, right? Uh, and, and that might actually start helping if, if you make the women who are here feel like, you know, they're valued as much as their male peers. Uh, but, but also, and, and, you know, maybe more importantly even than that, we can fix the prize money disparity now. Fixing the fact that uh, cycling, bike racing rather, is vastly overrepresents men is going to take a while. It's going to take social change um it's going to take much larger scale effort to get that to happen we can fix prize money today we can we, so. we can do that and it and I, I i do believe you know what what i've seen in minnesota makes me believe that stuff like prize purse equality does matter for development because i you know i've seen when we had a track field that had uh 30 or 40 women racing a huge track field right there were there was an elite field and a and an intro field. And I think there were times when there were like two cat four women's fields on the track. And at the same time, there would be a dozen women showing up to crits, right? So like something right mm-hmm. is happening on the track. And all of these uh, women just getting into track racing are looking at road racing and thinking, there's something off here. I don't want to be a part of it. And if, if we have USA Cycling with 14% of its membership as women, then the most significant way to make more bike racers is to get that percentage a lot closer to 50% mm-hmm. just by respecting women. Shocker, yeah. right? Right, yeah. Um, and that's exactly like, you know, sure, say for example, you're getting $5 or even $10 off your entry fee, you know, as a woman for five. But you look at, you look at you know, the kind of the racers that you're, I don't know, aspiring to be with, right? The elites. Like maybe if I work hard, I can be racing with them. And and what what kind of treatment are they getting? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Clearly, they're not valued in the same way. Yeah. And do I really want to like? Do I feel welcome here? Do I feel like women are are really wanted in bike racing? I think the prize purse says a lot about that. So I I mean so the point is listen like if you care like you know if if this is something you profess to care about. You can't just come up with your own plan and theory about how you are going to fix it with this plan that no one's, you know, this this solution that's no one at, that no one's asking for because it doesn't actually do anything about the people who are already here, right? The mm-hmm. women who are already racing bikes and already devoted to the sport. Uh, and yeah, and so there, there, there is. I think you know, <laughs> if you want to develop the sport, you got to show people that they're welcome. Like, it's not development without retention. 
Yeah, exa exactly. It's not development without retention. I mean, that's exactly right. So I, we can probably put a pin in it there. Um, yeah, we've 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 hollered at the choir. We have hollered at the choir. Well, there is actually. But I, I think I it's, it's, not... it's nice to like hash this out with you because I think that there are a lot of different ways of looking at it, and I like I really respect your your take on it and your your opinion and the sort of the way that you uh, the way that you break things down and think about it. Thanks. So this, Thanks. We're not only doing it for for the audience; we're doing it for each other. Well, yeah, I mean that's why you know that's that's why we do this for each other as well as for for you guys. The 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 one other point I want to make that isn't really an argument about this, only maybe an observation, which is that uh, you know there's a lot of reasons that I think this is more trenchant for like let's be honest, probably younger people for the most part. There are definitely exceptions, but and I think that this isn't necessarily an age thing, except in that it's correlated, right? Not that like old people suck, but I think that for people like me, and so we're we're in our early thirties. Let's say that. You're, well, you're pushing. You're pushing. You're pushing mid thirties. So you know, but in bike racing, yeah, but in bike racing terms, we're pretty young, and we also have a lot of we you know hang out with a lot of people who are younger than us and doing bike racing too. And I think that it's much more common for people in our demographic and our generation to have valuable friendships uh, across gender lines mm -hmm. um, than it was for older people. And I think that we see the pain that. It, the anguish it causes and our our friends our women friends who are racing bikes and who love the sport but feel like they're just fighting every step of the way to be taken seriously totally i think we see that and i and i think that we see that a lot in the racers you know even you know the one of the one of the main signifiers in the older racers who care about this is that i think you know they also have uh, friends in the community who aren't just other men who are mm -hmm. racing bikes um and maybe that's wrong but i just wanted to put that out there so you know i'd say make make friends across like real friendships you know who aren't just like your male racing friends i don't know i don't know maybe i'm full of crap uh so we spent an hour on that <laughs> <laughs> longer than intended but that always happens and it's a it's a big subject so okay <sighs> uh, do you want to do a sponsor? Do you want to? Do you want to tell them about Health IQ? I'd love to do that. Would you? Are you sure? I'm sure. I need to find my notes. I'm not sure if I need <laughs> to find my notes. Um, because honestly, Health IQ has been supporting us, um, for a while, and uh, we it's we're true. really pleased to have uh their support. Um, and their, their support of not only uh, the Honest Bicycle program, but also the Wide Angle Podium Network uh, as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. Health IQ, as many of our listeners have heard before, uh, is a life insurance company uh, that works for the health-conscious people, including cyclists. Uh, you can visit healthiq.com slash honestbicycleprogram uh, to learn more. You can get a free quote. You can check out a life insurance uh, frequently asked questions page. You can get some questions answered about how they work. It's really cool. They kind of crunch athlete-specific data to work special rates. Um, you know, they don't... Uh, they, they essentially don't penalize people for things like having a higher BMI, which um, matters for some people, for a lot of athletes. You know, a lot of athletes have a BMI that might be considered obese, but they're very healthy. Uh, they don't penalize people for having a low resting heart rate, which for, I don't know, not active people is a bad thing. Uh, for active people, it's really ordinary. Um, they're working for us. And by us, I don't mean the Honest Bicycle program. 
in the wide angle podium network uh i mean i mean athletes so take a look health iq at healthiq.com slash honest bicycle program awesome thank you so all right i i spent a lot of time kind of moving my face hole around and pushing air out of it uh but do you have anything that you want to tell me about that's been going on recently or that happened recently yeah, well, you know, we're a couple weeks out of it, but I was really intrigued by the Hammer series that happened over there in the Netherlands a few weeks ago. Uh, and this, yeah. is, this is one of those one of those funky, newfangled formats of bike racing where you have all these pro teams with the, with the matching clothes that you're familiar with from such races as mm-hmm. the Paris-Roubaix and the Tour of France. Um, and it was a, it was a three day series that uh, started with a circuit race called the Climb, and it was this like seven kilometer circuit with just two climbs. It was just constantly going up and downhill, and they're just sort of like king of the mountain points at each on each climb, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and riders are earning points for their team, not individual, right? So first day riders are earning points in the circuit called the Climb. The second day. Uh, they're basically on a, on a Kermis circuit, sort of like a gigantic criterium, earning essentially sprint points. And they're just like constant sort of breakaways and attacks, staying away for a lap to get the points and then going back in the field and attacks and chases and all this and that. And riders are, you know, earning these sprint points over and over again. And those sort of set up a, a team general classification that, that came down to uh, a handicap team time trial where the team with the most points um, went off first was handicapped and then uh the other teams had to try and catch them so this is the race called the chase um and i think a lot of people were a little bit skeptical about it because it sounds weird and and because we're not really used to stuff like that i didn't watch it live and so i didn't follow a lot of the like twitter stuff and, and the conversations around it but when i watched the replays it was awesome racing and I'm, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, next year, instead of the Ronde von Vlaanderen, we should have uh, the Hammer series. <laughs> but, but if that happened a few times a year, I would tune in every time. It's really cool. And, and here's one of the reasons why. Um, I, I love our classic forms of the sport. Um, but you got to admit that there are some problems with the whole team structure, but individual results. I mean, how many times have you explained to, like, a, a new bike racer or, like, a not-really-bike-racing friend or, like, a family who's just like, so what is teammates in bike racing? What does that even mean? That, like, yeah, like, you help each other out, but it winds up being for an individual end, not actually a collective end, and it's, like, an individual end that can be collectively celebrated, but it's not a collective end. Like, that, that's a design flaw. Do you feel me on this? Uh, I mean, I understand the argument. Um, it's, it's an awkward system. I, I think that it's, it, well, it, awkward. I mean, it's, it's certainly not simple to understand in the context of sports that viewers might be more familiar with, mm-hmm. where you have people on a team and the teams accumulate scores mm-hmm. versus, you know, bike racing where people are on a team and individuals get scored so like i appreciate that it's difficult to understand i i have i have some kind of general and thoughts that i i just want to put out there with respect to kind of what um valone which is the sort of a pro team association that, that is doing this um kind of has mm-hmm. in mind as their end game 
But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that said, you know, of course I endorse more exciting racing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do like the idea of... I, I, I do... I like the idea of having some innovation in bike racing formats. Because the ones that we're used to, like, let's be honest, I don't watch a lot of traditional pro racing these days uh, because finding the time for it <laughs> is hard. And so much of so much of it is just kind of not anything happening, but at the same time is critical to understanding what is going on when you do tune in with 10 kilometers to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because all that like riding around for five hours or six hours that has happened, you know, in the tour of Flanders up to the final matters, <laughs> but sitting through it is like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like um, watching a doubleheader in baseball. Twice. No, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And it's, it, it, except that like, imagine a doubleheader in baseball where nobody scores any runs in the first game. And then nobody scores any runs in the first eight innings of the second game. <laughs> and then they score all the, on purpose. And then they score all the runs in the last inning. But, but everyone's really tired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which they would be, because, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> so I'm all for innovation, and, and I do think that um, that's exciting. And I didn't, I didn't watch it, as I, you know, often do not watch things. But, uh, you know, it, sound, it sounds like it's, it's cool and people liked it and that there's some work to do, but overall, um, that there's promise. So I think that's very good. Cool. You know, it, I, one of the reasons that I was, I was intrigued by the whole affair was because it, it bore plenty of similarities to um, what the World Cycling League tries to do with this event called Team Track, mm-hmm. um, which is really similar. Uh, bunch of different format races uh on a track uh with with riders accruing points for their team um that said that's that well okay the world cycling league is sort of an interesting have they had another event by the way or is no they haven't but event? um but uh john vandevelde has been holding uh, held one similar event is playing another one this summer called team track uh i believe there was okay. some, some drama where he said he came up with the format and then he and World Cycling League parted ways. I'm not entirely sure. Something along those lines. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Well, well, that was so. So yeah, I did actually watch one of the days of, of of that event, and that was fun. The individual events were. I mean, track events are already short, but they were kind of further condensed for the most part into sort of distilled essence of exciting track racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was pretty cool. Uh, and so, if there's a similar thing going on with the road racing, I'm I'm all for that. And you know. Um, I do want to offer just a brief, <laughs> maybe Marxist analysis or something. Yeah, bring of what, it. Of what the dynamic is. <laughs> just just to put this out there as uh, uh, <laughs> my disclaimer is I'm not actually, I'm not a Marxist, but I, I, do, I do think that um, having an understanding of what's, what's happening here in terms of stakeholders and, and what they want uh, is important, mm-hmm. okay? Which is that cycling of course, has this history of being an individual sport. That's how it got started. And the team aspect got kind of glommed onto it when, you know, it started early, right? Because you had riders who were star riders and and they would hire people or their teams would hire, you know, riders to 
help them, you know, would shield them from the wind. And Henri de Grange, who started the Tour de France, really hated it. Um, but, you know, that's, it was always glommed onto this individual results structure that, that was the beginning. You know, excluding things like the Madison and whatever, where you have people competing in teams. Because yeah. there are team events in cycling, but the teams are transient, right? This is versus commercial trade teams that are, you know, longer lasting necessarily than one event. Like, you might have your your uh, pursuit squad might last for literally a day. <laughs> um, or Or for, you know, five minutes. But anyway, so the thing is, um, bike racing was popular. Uh, and you could sponsor riders and sponsor teams and, and get interest in that way. But the your sort of more conventional team sports, uh, and especially your sort of stadium team sports, right? Your your football, which is to say soccer, <laughs> and your later American football and baseball and whatnot, were able th- that are pure team sports from the get go, were ultimately ripe to be turned into these massive business enterprises. Uh, which is great because you have, you know, if you are a business person who sees an opportunity to make money on entertainment, right? Sports, professional sports is an entertainment product. And cycling has frustrated the kind of business-minded people who love it because it's much, much, much harder to turn a bike team into a kind of reliable money-making franchise on an ongoing basis. And so that's what groups like Valone, and, and specifically the group Valone, are trying to do. That's what people like Jonathan Vodders are really, really interested in doing, is finding a way to kind of build franchises, right? They've been very clear about that that have a life beyond individual riders. Well, here's the Marxist analysis part of it, which is that this plan necessarily subsumes or would necessarily subsume the identity of the individual athlete in favor of the identity of the franchise. Right? Well, okay. That's but a no, really, okay. That's, hold on. That's a really interesting point, but does that happen? In team sports? Well, so of course, right? So of course you do have stars in these sports. But like, let's think about how in American sports, how that works. All right. Uh, players are contracted. And, and, and cycling is like this too, to be fair. Like players are contracted and the teams they play for, the businesses that they're ultimately employees of, have enormous power to use their image. Yeah. Uh, and to yeah, just kind of do what they want and to restrict their employment, all right? And to some extent, that's true recycling too, to be fair. But I think that, you know, really you, you could have a Ronaldo or whatever his name is in, in soccer or you can have your Derek Jeter or whatever um, in, in baseball. But, you know, there's still... The, the team is able to use the image of the player to, you know, in sort of synergy, as it were, with their brand, right? To really build their brand and connect their brand to the player uh, in a way that I think you can't do as strongly in cycling because mm-hmm. the contracts are relatively short. Riders are essentially always free agents, um, which is to say once the terms of their contract are up, 
they can go anywhere. Um, and the contracts being, again, usually not very long, you might get a rider for two years. Maybe they'll stick with, you know, and there are riders who stick with the same same team for a very long time. Um, and there, so there are lots of reasons that, like, you know, stadium sports have worked out this way and, and cycling hasn't, you know, the stadium being a crucial component of it and the ability to sell seating and stuff like that. But I, I just want to point out that, you know, part of the reason that groups like Valone and, you know, Jonathan Waters or whatever would like to do this isn't just because um, they think it would be great to have an enduring franchise, or rather it's not for its own sake only that they want to have an enduring franchise bigger than the the athletes. Uh, it's that they see it as a way to have much more control over the product mm-hmm. and to have much more control over the profit sure that product right i mean it's definitely an interest an issue that um you know in our american ball sports these teams have a stadium they play half of their games there each year they get to sell all this stuff at the stadium and get these exclusive advertising contracts and they get to you know i I don't know all the stuff that they do with you know who tell it's a lot of stuff they they get a lot of money because of that but you know bike racing teams just have to go to races that are owned by these race promotion companies. Yeah. yeah. But so my, I mean, my, my big idea about this is like, Hey, what if every world tour team had to have a home, uh, a home course and they had to, they had to run a bike race there. And that was the, uh, I don't know if that was the, the world tour. It's, it's like if the world tour was USA cycling circa 1996, when everyone had yeah, to put on a race. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's I, I'm or, not sure or, it would have or, the same. Or even even just a, a a velodrome with a demonstration event. So I think I think I think the you know if if people could get excited about velodromes again, I think that would have a much better chance of actually working in a model kind of like um, ball sports, right? Mm-hmm. I, that's that's sort of the thing. Uh, and, and that's like what the World Cycling League is kind of their idea, and it's a pretty good idea, honestly. Like if that's if that's a model you want to emulate, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And that's that's you know I don't know it's it's kind of weird back in sort of the golden age of velodrome racing in the late 18th and early sorry late 19th and early 20th century. Um, you know I I don't th- I don't know that this concept was well developed and I think they were probably mostly individual events but I think that if someone were inventing the idea of a velodrome now uh they would probably kind of look at doing a more team focused kind of sport That's my theory That's just off the top of my head I, just I don't know velodromes just, Yeah well of course you do and I think that's I think that's all well and good I think that's of course you do Yeah so I that I just wanted to put that out there that that you know there is a there's there are kind of commercial reasons that you can look at through yeah. absolutely a political lens if you so choose um and, and that also really underlies a lot of the complaints that um say Jonathan Waters whose name keeps coming up you know that the people like him make about the level of professionalism uh in the sport and you know what what professionalism essentially means is the opportunity of for team owners to make pots of money mm-hmm. <laughs> off yeah. of the sport because like realistically you know and, and people buy this uh rhetoric by the way and, and you know that that oh cycling Cycling really is not a very professional sport. It really needs to be better developed. It's, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like on a global scale, like compare cycling to 
just pick a name of a sport out of a hat and 95% of them cycling is professionally speaking in better shape <laughs> because because there is a professional circuit on which mm. people can make a living racing bikes uh the vast majority of olympic sports that doesn't exist mm -hmm. and it certainly doesn't exist for the number of people that are employed in pro cycling hmm. pro cycling really like yeah it pales in comparison to uh association football and to american football and and baseball and whatever but like it's 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 really doing okay <laughs> i just want to put that out there it's doing okay it could do better there's nothing wrong with wanting it to be better but let's be honest about where it is but yeah i'm, I'm intrigued by this hammer idea um i should probably watch those replays and and uh see what i think I, you know not just from a kind of business and political lens yeah Hey, I'm not against people making money. You know, I'm like, you know, whatever, capitalism fine. Um I just want to make it you know, I I just see it as, you know, there there is there are employer employee dynamics there. That Totally. You know, the employers would love to be more favorable to them. <laughs> so Uh, you know, it, we're running long. We're running long. This has been the Honest Bicycle Program. Yeah, go check us out on the Wide Angle Podium Network, where there are a bunch of other fine shows that you can listen to, most of them cycling-related, sports-related. Um, WideAnglePodium.com. Become a member, WideAnglePodium.com slash donate. Uh, it makes a big difference. You know, we're getting... It's It's really great to get a little bit of money for putting this show on for you and we are sorry <laughs> that it's been like a month uh i'm very sorry that i got sick um i i would avoid it if i could we do still also have special content coming your way bonus content for members uh that's a nice benefit of of becoming a member uh i just was super busy and haven't gotten a chance to publish it yet but i promise you it is coming soon you're gonna love it uh, and and hopefully you know once it's out we'll tell you what it is <laughs> here. But until then, I want it to be a nice, pleasant surprise for our dedicated subscribers. So if you become a member, become a subscriber, whatever you want to call it, uh, you too could have a pleasant surprise of some bonus content from the Honest Bicycle Program. Why about WhiteAnglePodium.com/slash/donate? Hit it up. Uh, so. So. I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah, it's bedtime. It's bedtime. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been good uh, to ride with you today. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks for putting up with my gabbing, Matteo. <sighs> You've got a gift of gab. I, I do have a gift of gab. I gabbed most giftedly tonight. I use that term because gift of gab is one of my favorite rappers. <laughs> I didn't know that that was, I didn't know that was a rapper. Yeah, he was half of Blackalicious. <laughs> rap names are awesome i love them <laughs> and I it's really, perfect for I'm him not... because he's like such a chatty kathy it, <laughs> he's so it, he's terrific it's like yeah it, it, you should check out gift of gab i'll send you some tracks chatty kathy a reference that we millennials only get because our parents used it 
Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and my mother used to say, hustle your bustle, mister. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that, right? Oh, man. Hashtag old people. All right. <laughs> who, who we love, by the way. We love our old people. We love our old people. We love you, our listener people. Thanks for coming back. We'll catch you next time. Bye now. Bye. Thank you.